Morning, church family. Hey, listen, before we go, I know that we sometimes don't get the opportunity to say thank you to our worship band, but man, this morning is incredible. Will y'all offer a thanks to Stephen and to the band? Thank you. I shared with the, the worship team this morning that Melinda and I were in a place in our life where literally we were sort of drying up in worship, and we were just praying, God, bring us to a place where you can fill our hearts each week in worship. And when we got to Double Oak, it has just been a wellspring to be able to join you and to worship with you and to worship with Stephen and his team. And so we're so thankful. For those who don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm the discipleship pastor here uh, at Double Oak with the responsibility of working with our next gen and generational ministries team to help you in your growth toward Christ-likeness, to help you move toward maturity. Now, one of the things that we're doing this year is we're reading through the New Testament together, and I wanted to take just a moment, even this very moment, uh, morning, I've already had someone catch me and said, Steve, thank you for the Bible reading plan. I'm enjoying reading through Luke. And the new cards, I wanted to let you know for February are out. I wanted to let you know also that uh, when we finish reading through Luke, we'll be moving into the book of Acts, a book that was written uh, by Luke. Luke's a physician, and so we'll continue that study. I want you to know this morning that some of our groups are talking about and reading from the Bible reading plan. And as a matter of fact, when Adam asked me to preach today, he said, choose something from the Bible reading plan and bring a message this morning. So I'm going to be preaching this morning from Luke 18, story about a blind man named Bartimaeus. And we'll kind of, as we go through the message this morning, I want us to kind of think about how to study God's Word and read His Word and memorize His Word meditate and think about his word. Now, a couple of folks have asked me, and I just thought, well, I know you're not supposed to take your phone into the pulpit, but here I am, and I want to go ahead and tell you, if you open the app, and Hunter showed you a slide this morning that told you how to get there, docc.org slash app, and you download the app, you go right here to the bottom right, there's a little tab that says Bible, and if you hit Bible, it will actually bring up our Bible here. We preach in the ESV version, And so it'll bring up a Bible, and you can set it for ESV or whichever translation you like. Then if you hit the plan, it will actually bring up the day, and you can see what the reading is for each day. Now, some folks are reading through, and when you scroll down to the bottom, you will actually note that you're uh, able to uh, mark complete. So you'll be able to keep up with the passages that you've read. One of the features that I like, and Adam and I were chatting about it, and I said I would just share it with you, is I try to read the passage every day. So go into the app, or I use the card and pull out my Bible and read every day. And then there's a great little feature on the app where you can actually listen to the Bible being read. So what I would encourage you to do, or my practice is, read the Bible every day, five days a week, and then on the weekend, I try to listen to all five chapters just to see it and to listen to put my headphones in and just let God's Word speak to me and fill my life. So I would encourage you, Bible intake is the key, and I want to encourage you. Now, I don't know if you know Tara Walker. She's sitting to my left. Tara, wait, raise your hand. Tara is the ministry assistant for discipleship. She's going to be at the table out there uh, today, and some of you said, Steve, can I still get resources? And they can. So Tara will be out there and connect you with some resources if you need them. Now, as we look at Luke chapter 18, I wanted to remind you, and as we start this new church here, that every now and then we need to just slow down, kind of take a breath, and take a new look, don't we? 
We, the Christmas season is behind us now, and we're kind of in that opportunity, that time where we can begin to think about our life and our journey as a Christ follower. We've got, you know, I, before things get so hectic and we get into the Easter season, it's a great time to slow down. As a matter of fact, uh, Tara, not too long ago, I was sitting at the beauty shop. I, I know, I, that catches some of you by surprise. You see this, and you go... What's a ball guy doing at the beauty shop? But if you want to know what's going on around town, the best place to catch up is the beauty shop. I mean, I'm just being honest. That's where you go. So I'm sitting at the beauty shop, guys, and this lady comes in and she says, look at me. Look at this hair. You have just got to do something with this hair. I need a new look. And as I sat there, I was thinking, oh, if I only had your problems, you know. Uh, And so I'm thinking, but she went on and on talking about this new look. And the more she talked about her new look, the more I begin to think about, we all need a new look, don't we? We all need to slow down every now and then and just look at our life and our ministry and think about our identity and our purpose and our significance and the impact that we're having on our families and those that we love and those that we lead. We need to take a new look at where we live and work and worship and play, and we need to think about what God's doing in our life. I love this passage we're going to read today because in this story from Luke 18, which is also found in Mark chapter 10, Jesus models compassion for us. He models purpose for us. He he models for us power, and he models for us the opportunity for us to slow down and to really take a serious thought about him. This passage reminds us that Jesus cares for us. And I want you, if you take nothing else, I want you to remember Jesus loves you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. It reminds us that Jesus has a purpose for your life and that Jesus will never call you to do anything that he won't empower you to do. It reminds us that Jesus wants us to periodically to spend time and on a regular basis to spend time thinking about who we are and what our relationship is with him. And it reminds us that Jesus is in the business of redeeming our heart and our soul and our mind and our relationships for his kingdom purpose. Now, I know it's not a tradition here at Double O, but I'm going to ask you just to stand for a moment while I read God's word. I'm going to read from Luke 18, and I think by standing you'll be able to see and follow along. So reading from Luke 18, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what it meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And all who were in front rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray. Be seated. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus, to reach out and touch him, and to say that we love him. 
Open our ears, Lord, and help us to listen. Open our eyes, Lord. Truly, we want to see Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I want to take us to, and I want to kind of set the tone for what's happening in our story. It's been a really busy week for Jesus that week. Jesus had been up in the Galilee, which if you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, you will notice in the northern part of the country of Israel. Jesus was up there healing and preaching and teaching mind, soul, bodies, and relationships. Now, when you think about Galilee and you think about the maps in the country of Israel, we're up in the north, and this is the area around the Sea of Galilee. Up in that area is Jesus' hometown, a town called Nazareth. Up in that area is a city called Capernaum, and Capernaum or Capernaum was actually home to many of the disciples, and it was home to the great Galilean ministry of Jesus, and many of the miracles that you will read about in the Gospels took place up in this area. From a, a geographical perspective, Israel's only about 270 miles in total length and only about 85 miles wide. When you think about Israel and you're watching it on the news, I want you to think about the entire country of Israel is about as far as from here to the Gulf Coast and about as wide as from here to T-Town. So it's a pretty small country when you think about it. Jesus is walking down from the Galilee, the northern part of the country, and he's traveling south along the Jordan River. It's a, about a 85 miles, if you will. So if you think about in this story, when we're studying it and we're looking at the context, think about the fact that Jesus is taking about an 85-mile walk, which is like walking from here to Montgomery, which is a pretty good little clip. In the New Testament, it's estimated that a person would have walked about 20 to 25 miles a day. So we can say just from our study and reading, and as we think about and study this text, that Jesus would have walked about three and a half days. So it's a three and a half day journey. As Jesus is making his way south, I'm sure he's talking to the disciples and he's letting them know what's about to happen. Because if you read your Bible reading this past week, you will note that the scripture says, and Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, which means Jesus knows the crucifixion is before him. So as they walk for three and a half days or so, he's beginning to talk to them and he's preparing them for what's about to happen. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to be with someone who's about to go home with the Lord, but when they do or just before they do, they share some very pointed things and I'm quite sure that Jesus is sharing the most important things about life and eternity with the disciples. And he's reminding them that he's about to go to the Father. He's reminding them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with them, to comfort them and teach them. And he's preparing them for his crucifixion on the cross. Jesus makes his way south. And when he gets south, he stops in this little oasis town called Jericho. Now, I've been to Jerusalem a couple of times and had the privilege of being in Jericho. And if you go to Jericho, by the way, how many of you have been to Israel? I hope that we get to the place where we can go again soon. So uh, we'll continue to pray about that. Um, if you go to Jericho, you'll note that there's some tremendous orange juice. We think about Florida citrus being great, and it is. But I got to tell you, when you get off the bus in Jericho, they're going to give you some of the sweetest orange juice that you've ever had. When you go to Jericho, little boys are going to run up to you and girls, and they're going to hold up Hollywood camels, and they're going to sell them to you for one American dollar, and you're going to feel compelled to buy them to help the kids out. 
and to take them back to the grandbabies. And so you'll buy some olive wood American, uh, uh, one American dollar camels. And when you go to Jericho, you will see large stones laying everywhere on the ground. And you'll walk around and you'll go, wow, these are tremendous rocks, tremendous stones laying everywhere. And if you think about it, it's because there was a battle fought there. Remember when we were primaries, we used to sing a song, Joshua fought a battle at Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought a battle at Jericho. What happened? The walls came. They absolutely did come tumbling down. And if you go to Jericho today and walk around, you will notice those walls that came tumbling down are literally scattered everywhere. You used to love that song, by the way, as little primaries in Sunday school. We would sing it. We'd all fall on the floor and laugh, and then we would jump up, and we would sing it again. The walls came tumbling down. Mark tells us in this passage that the triumphal entry happens right after. So when you read and study God's Bible, what you're doing is you're looking at the context. So all of these things are context. It tells us about the story and what's going on. Now, it's interesting because Luke actually sneaks in a little story between the triumphal entry. Another song that you learned when you were a primary, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a... We little man was he. So when we look at these songs and these stories and we study God's word, we see where these come from. So we know that this is actually the last week that Jesus is on earth. We know that he is about to be crucified. So I want us to look and I want us to use this passage that we've listened to be read, that we've read, and that we've set the context. And I want us to kind of think about four areas quickly in our life that maybe we need to slow down and maybe we need to take a new look. Now, we've talked about the background, the history of Jericho, the context of Jesus walking down that way, the fact that he stops there in Jericho. Mark tells us that Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd are coming through Jericho. When I study God's Word, I think, okay, he, he's telling us the disciples, and I kind of know who that is. That's the 12 apostles. And then he says there's this large crowd, and at that point, we have to start speculating a little bit, start guessing who's in the crowd. And as I think about this crowd, I begin to think, well, I'm sure there are those who are committed to Jesus in the crowd. Like you, they're disciples of Jesus. They believe and follow him, and so they are with Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Uh, Luke says the people up front and you think about who's up front, and that's going to be the people who are closest to Jesus, which are going to be his disciples. So we know that there's the committed in this group. We know that there's probably some casual followers of Jesus in this group. You, you know who I'm talking about, the casual followership of Jesus. They're the guys that go, hey, if Jesus is in town, he's a good teacher. Hey, let's get some tickets and go down and hear him preach. They have a relationship, but they don't have a deep relationship with Jesus. They kind of have Jesus on the fringe of their life, but Jesus is not the center of their life. I think beyond committed and the casual, I think they're curious in this crowd. They heard about Jesus' healing, and they've heard about Jesus' great teaching. They've heard about people who in great crowds who have followed him. And they're curious about Jesus. They go, hey, I wonder if this guy is for real. I wonder if I can really trust him. And then there's some clergy in the crowd. And John, they're not clergy like we are and like our staff. These are Pharisees and Sadducees. They're scholars. They're theologians. 
but they're critical of Jesus. So when you think about them, think, don't think clergy. These are the nice guys that preach every Sunday. Think about these are the theologians that are out to kill Jesus and to make sure that he's crucified. So when I think about this passage and I think about these four groups of people, I think the first application for us today is we can see ourselves in the Bible, can't we? When you read God's Word and you read these stories, I want you to realize the Bible was not just written for long ago, but it's written for us today. And you see yourselves. Many of you would say, I'm committed to Christ. Or many of you might say, well, really, I fall into the casual. You might say, I fall into the curious. Or you might even, unfortunately, say, I'm part of the critical of, the, of Jesus and the church. But I want to tell you that the Bible is speaking to you. And it's easy when you read it to see yourself in the Bible. Now, I want you to think about this story and what's happening. Because on one side of the road is the crowd, and we've already shared with you who is in that crowd, the committed, the curious, um, and the clergy are over there. But I want you to think about the other side of the road for a moment. It's the, it's the guy that I call the crier. His name is Bartimaeus. Now, we don't know a lot about Bartimaeus, but this is what we do know. We know that his daddy's name was Timaeus because Bar means son of, and his name is Timaeus. So he is the son of of Timaeus. So if I was living in this day, somebody might introduce me and they would say, well, that's Bar James because my father was James. And so I am the son of James Layton. So guys or ladies, whenever your husband's not acting right, you say, Bar James, get in here right now. And uh, you can just call them uh, to come see you. So he knows that his name is Timaeus. His I mean, his dad's Timaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. We know that he's needy and poor because the Bible tells us that he is a beggar. I, I suspect that he has a hard life. So here's what happens. Old Bartimaeus gets up, does his normal routine, slips on his uh, outer garments, and he makes his way down to the gate every day. He sits down at the gate because that's a pretty good place to be able to catch people because everybody's usually coming in and out of town. And if they're coming in out into town or headed out of town, they most likely have a few extra coins. So he's sitting there at a place where he's able to connect with Jesus. Every day, old Bartimaeus sits there and he does the same thing. Shekels for the poor, alms for the poor, help a blind man out. And as Jesus sits, I mean, as Bartimaeus sits there, he shakes his cup and the Bible says he's a beggar. One day while Bartimaeus is out there shaking his cup, guess what's happened? He begins to hear the crowd off in the distance. So the crier begins to yell out and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, hey, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, Bartimaeus is, although he's blind, he's not deaf. And he knows that Jesus is coming his way. As Bartimaeus is sitting there, he's heard the st stories of Jesus, and he knows what Jesus is doing and what Jesus can do for him. And Bartimaeus knows this is my chance. This is the chance of a lifetime for us. Now, when I sit and meditate on God's Word and I think about old Bartimaeus, I think that, well, I'm not like Bartimaeus. I'm, I'm not blind. But I've thought about how there have been times in my life where I have been spiritually blind, where God was speaking to me, and I haven't seen what God's saying to me or heard what God's saying to me or seen where God's at work. 
I call it store blind or church blind. It's a slow drift that happens in our, our spiritual walks. Uh, I'll explain it this way. When I drive from here to wherever on the interstate, uh, Rob, sometimes I'll change lanes from the right to the left to pass. And as I start to change lanes in my vehicle, there's a blind spot, if you will, which is right off my left corner of my car. And I literally look in the mirror, the rearview mirror, but I can't see the car that's right here behind me. Guess what? Usually that car sees me, and they'll honk their horn, honk, honk, honk. And when they do that, guess what? I'm like, oh, I need to get back over into my lane. It is a blind spot. As a matter of fact, to make sure that I don't pull over and hit someone, I put blind spot mirrors on my car to help me be aware of the blind spots. Every now and then, when we read a story like this or we meditate or think about it, we need to think about the blind spots in our life, that slow drift, if you will. And we need to listen. Is the Holy Spirit hitting the horn saying, wake up, change, I've got something for you. Or we need to put some blind spot mirrors, including our Bible and our friends and others, to be able to remind us, hey, you're in a slow drift. And we need to be aware of those in our groups and classes that might be in a slow drift. We used to say it at the restaurant that I worked at. We called it store blind. And a store blind was something that's usually broken or dirty or dangerous. And we look at it so many times that we don't see it anymore. And I want to say that it happens in the lives of people. Things that are broken, things that are dirty, things that are dangerous. And when we become aware of them, like Bartimaeus, we must seize the day. And we must cry out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, if we continue to read our text, Luke 18, verse 39, and I'm going to throw it up here on the screen for you for a second. It says, those who were in the front, we've already determined that that's the committed, the disciples who are close, the church people, if you will, rebuked him, telling him, be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. This was confusing to me. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we get to a passage that is confusing to me. And I'm going, wait a minute, why were the disciples, the people who were closest to Jesus, telling Bartimaeus, be quiet. And immediately I began to think about reading the Southern commentary. And the Southern commentary would probably say something like, Bartimaeus, shut up. You're causing a scene. And I I know my grandmother in heaven is going, son, you just said shut up in church. Don't say that. But it, it says they were sternly telling him to be quiet, right? That's not, hey, Bartimaeus, don't create a scene. This is, Bartimaeus, be quiet. And I began to think about why would they do that? And the answer is pretty clear. Guess what? Because we studied the context for three and a half days, he's walking from the Galilee to Jericho. What's he talking about? What did I tell you? His upcoming crucifixion. These disciples are trying to protect Jesus. Bartimaeus, don't make a scene. You don't know what's about to happen. And I was reminded as I sit with this passage that as they tried to protect Jesus, Jesus didn't call us to protect him. Jesus calls us to proclaim him, to share the good news with a lost and a dying world. Oh, friend, Jesus doesn't need us to fight his fights. He needs us to make disciples, to help people believe and follow him, and to be changed by him. Now, in case you wonder, well, Steve, where'd you get that? Well, you think about the habit of the disciples. Children want to come to Jesus. What did they do? No, Jesus hadn't got time for kids today. We're a little busy. Uh, you got to have an appointment, buy a ticket. 
Uh, what happened when the friends were bringing their paralytic friend to see Jesus? They stood at the door and they goes, not enough room in the house today. Uh, you're going to have to bring him back. He's got an opening in two weeks. No, Jesus is a people person. And what did Jesus say? Let the children come unto me. The paralytic comes down. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. You see, Jesus was relational. Jesus loved people. And we read and we've heard in Matthew chapter 22. And we value and we know about love from John 15. This is the way Jesus wants us to live. And God calls us every now and then just to slow down and look at how we're loving people and loving others. Jesus reminds us that we are his hands and his feet and his voice. And it reminds us that we need to every now and then slow down and say, who do we need to talk to, to minister to, or to share Jesus with today? And so I want to challenge us to think about this others and our relationships in our life. Now, number three, I want us to kind of move along, and I want us to look at Luke chapter 40, verses 40 and 41. And if you'll throw it up, and Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. But sometimes when we study God's word, it's good for us to kind of read the parallel text. And I've already shared with you that this story is actually told by Mark also. Mark gives us a little more details than Luke does because Mark says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up for he's calling you. And throwing away his coat, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? This is actually one of my favorite verses in, in the Bible. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And you go, well, why is that a favorite verse of yours, Pastor Steve? Because it reminds us that Jesus is never too busy to stop for you and for me, no matter what our needs are. That if we cry out to Jesus, as Bartimaeus did, that Jesus will stop for us. This is the moment we've been waiting for, isn't it? We read this story, and we're building toward the climax. And as we're building toward this climax, we're actually wondering, if I stop, and if I cry out to Jesus right here in Shelby County, Alabama today, how will Jesus respond to me? Is it real? Does Jesus hear me? Will Jesus really answer my cry? And the answer is yes. Because if Jesus will stop for a blind beggar on the side of a busy Jericho road, I can guarantee you, Jesus will stop for you no matter what your needs is. You think about what's happening in this story. One man's cry stopped the movement of the master. One man's cry showed us what the mission of the master is. And here is the confidence that I have and that you can have in Jesus. Jesus is never too busy for you. Jesus is never going to say, I ain't got time for you. Can't hear your prayers. Jesus is always going to say, come unto me, all you who are burning heavy laden. My door's open. My coffee's hot. And I always want to be with you. Now, I love when Jesus says, let him come to me what the disciples did. Mark tells us that the disciples went to Bartimaeus, and what did they say? Take courage, stand up, Jesus is calling you. As I think about this passage as a discipleship pastor, 
I think about this is the mark of a disciple-making leader. To tell people, have courage, stand up, because Jesus is calling you. I think that sometimes we make it too hard, and Jesus is reminding us of his purpose, that he came to seek and to save the lost, the Bible says, that Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, and that Jesus came to heal the broken and the, and the sick, and that Jesus reminds us to take courage to stand up, for he is calling you. This is Bartimaeus' moment, and I've often wondered, and I've just got to be honest, this is the way my old discipleship, my old mind thinks about. Jesus and the crowd are coming through. Bartimaeus the crier cries out to him. In just a moment, Jesus is going to walk through that gate, and he is going to set his face to Jerusalem. He's going to make a right turn, and I've been there. He's going up the hill to Jerusalem, 25 miles up the hill, which, if you remember, is a day's walk. Jesus is going to start right up that hill, and the very next thing that's going to happen is going to be the triumphal entry. Holy Week has started. His crucifixion is a week away. And it scares me when I think about the fact that if Bartimaeus had not seized the day when the opportunity was there, he might have missed his opportunity for the miracle that God was given to him. not going to say that he wouldn't have found Jesus as his Lord and Savior, but most likely he would not have been healed because this was the moment, this was the time that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. This was the application. As I've thought about it, and, and I have thought about it a lot over my ministry, I think about there are three kind of opportunities that God gives to all of us, and there are really hundreds of them, but there are three I want to mention to you today as your discipleship pastor. And the first opportunity I think that God is giving to us today is the opportunity for salvation. Some of you may be sitting there and you go, hey, Steve, I'm in that, you know, that interested group, curious group, casual group, but I'm not committed to Christ. As a matter of fact, I don't even know Jesus that we sang about or that you're preaching about. And I want to tell you, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that Jesus is coming by. The Bible reminds us that we're all sinners and that we all fall short of the glory of God. But the new, good news is, is that the Bible reminds us that we can be saved by grace through faith if we put our faith and trust in God. As a matter of fact, it tells us in Ephesians 2, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so I want to tell you today that if God is calling you to place your faith and trust in him, I've talked to the folks in the prayer room. I'm going to be available. We have staff members, pastors, elders, and leaders here today. They'd be glad to talk to you about it. Second opportunity that God gives to everybody in this room today, and that is the opportunity for spiritual growth the opportunity to continue to grow. I shared with you at the very beginning of this service about our Bible reading plan. The number one way you can grow as a Christian is Bible intake. Read God's Word, study God's Word, memorize God's Word, and think about God's Word, meditate on it. And so I want to encourage you. I practice three disciplines in my life regular. I practice the discipline of prayer. And guys, I'll be glad to talk to you because I know a lot of guys struggle with prayer, but I practice the pray without ceasing discipline. I practice the discipline of Bible reading, Bible study, Bible intake, Bible meditation, Bible memorization. 
I practice the discipline of assembly with other people who are Christ followers. So I want to encourage you to get in a group, whether it be a community group, a men's group, or Courtney's right here on the front, a women's group, you can get them connected. Uh, there are lots of opportunities. We've got disciple makers in this very church who will disciple you one-on-one if you want someone to do it. So I want to encourage you. Your second opportunity is for spiritual growth. And your third opportunity is the opportunity to serve, to serve in the church and to pray for people. You go, well, Steve, you know, I just can't do what I used to do. I'm older. Let me tell you what I need you to do. You can pray. You can pray for your pastor. You can pray for your staff. You can pray for those who are lost and searching. So I want to encourage you to find your place of service, to serve and don't just think, what can I do outside the walls of this church? There are preschool and children and students and women and men who need you to invest in their lives. You may be called to be a missionary or a minister, and you're called to use your spiritual gifts, skills, and talents. My call to you today is if you don't know Jesus, I call you to believe and follow him. I call all of us to be changed by him. I call all of us to serve him. Sometimes, folks, it's, uh, we make it harder than it needs to be. Put up a picture of Miss Mayberry for me, if you will. This is Pat Mayberry. Pat Mayberry's a friend of mine. Uh, she's working in a, a ministry called Marketplace up in Brentwood, Tennessee, where I had the honor of serving at Brentwood Baptist. And Miss Mayberry, every Sunday, dresses up as a biblical character, and she teaches little boys and girls how to weave baskets. And while Miss Mayberry is teaching people how to weave baskets, she's doing that because the thing you don't know about Miss Pat Mayberry is she's not just legally blind, she's totally blind. Miss Mayberry was raised in a girl's home in Tennessee because she was blind and her parents couldn't take care of her. I met Miss Mayberry one day as she was weaving baskets, and I said, tell me your story. And she said to me, she said, Steve, I was raised in a girl's home. I was poor, couldn't even afford to buy anything, clothes, food. I was at the mercy of the people who took care of me here in the girl's home. And Miss Mayberry said, so there was a lady in the nursing home taught me how to weave baskets. And I would weave baskets, and they would sell the baskets at the market. And with the money that they made selling the baskets, it was the money that they used to take care of me in the girls' home. Ms. Mayberry said, I met Ken Heinemann, who was the children's minister and, uh, at Brentwood Baptist, and uh, said, I'd love to serve, but I don't know how to do anything. She said, as a matter of fact, Ken, all I know how to do is weave baskets. And Ken Heinemann looked her straight in the face and said, all God needs you to know how to do, Ms. Mayberry, is weave baskets. Because I've been praying that God would bring a basket weaver to the Marketplace Kids Ministry. And if you'll come every Sunday and weave baskets and teach children to weave baskets, as you knit together those fibers, you'll be able to teach those boys and girls that Jesus loves them. Miss Pat Mayberry has probably led more boys and girls to the Lord by weaving baskets and using her gift to serve children than anybody I know. Guys, let's not make it hard. If we don't know Jesus, let's invite him into our hearts. If we're not living for Jesus, let's get our lives right. If we're not serving Jesus, let's weave baskets or whatever it is that God has called us to do. I put up a slide. I want you to think about it as we're kind of winding toward the end. And sometimes people say to me, hey, Steve, can you help me think about what I could do to serve the king? And here's just some things that I want you to think about. I keep these in before me, and I ask this question with people all the time. What is it that inspires you? 
What is it that you can do you're talented at? What meets a, a need literally in the world around you? And if you don't know what that is here at Double Oak, ask us and we'll tell you. Uh, I, am I investing in the right people and the right activities? What problems do I want to solve? Where do I see God at work around me? And the one that, that I'm asking as I'm getting older is, what legacy do I want to leave when I'm no longer able to do this? And so I encourage you, let's find our place to serve God. Let's look at the last and kind of wrap this uh, message up. I want to kind of look at, at Luke 41 to 43. Let's uh, throw the text up. We're going to go back over to Luke, and uh, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? He asked, and he said, Lord, I want to recover my sight. God, I, I just want to see Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Go your way or recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. As I think about this text, what do you want me to do? And I think about this beautiful picture. When I was a little boy, I grew up in cross town over in Robinwood. If you know where Robinwood next to Tarrant, which back then it was Tarrant City, it's a pretty depressed and poor area. And, uh, and we grew up pretty poor, transparently. I had a, a little friend lived down the street from me, and he was literally, this little boy was blind. Mama let him play out in the backyard because it was safe for him. But my little blind friend would... Uh, I would go down to play with him every now and then. And I remember this being in first, second, third grade. I would go down to his house, and when I would get there, he would always, his mom would open the back porch door, and she'd say, go, go play, let him guess who you are. And I would go through the home, and I would go out onto the backyard, and, and I would go, and she'd say, hey, you got a friend, call his name. And he would kind of make his way up to the porch, and immediately this is what he would do. He would take his hand, and he would put it on my forehead, any of you have blind friends? You'll know they do this. Run his hand across my forehead. He would take his thumbs and run them down my nose and across my eye sockets. And he'd start smiling. He would come down a little more and he would take his hand and he would run it across my lips. Now I haven't said a word and he's totally blind. And about the time he would touch my lips, he'd begin to smile and he goes, Ah, oh, Steve, it's you. You've come to play with me. And I thought, that's so awesome. He knew who I was because he was close enough to touch me. i got to tell you, when I think about this passage, I ask myself, when is the last time that I was so close to Jesus that I could reach out and run my fingers across his forehead? When could I touch his eyes? When could I run my hands across his mouth and hear his heart and him smile and say, Ah, oh, Steve, my son, you have come to be with me. What a beautiful picture when we think about the fact that Jesus is waiting for us. I, I smile and I think about Bartimaeus was so close to Jesus, he could literally smell what Jesus had ate for breakfast. He could probably smell the orange juice on his breath because he was close to Jesus. And I don't know about you because I'm not there but that's how close I want to be to Jesus. And when I say I'm not there, I want to get closer every day. And I want to move with you as your discipleship pastor and help you to draw close to Jesus. So close to him that literally you can reach out and touch him. Bartimaeus said, Lord, I want to see. I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want to show you some conditions for this miracle. When we study God's Word, we need to think about 
what's happening, what makes this work. There was the awareness that Jesus is near. And some of you might be sitting here today or watching on video, and you sense in your heart that God's close. There's the sheer persistence in getting to Jesus to ask for what you need. He was not going to let those who were in the front stop him from crying out. There was the immediate response to Jesus' call. And when Jesus is called, let's not sit there and allow him to move past and miss the opportunity. He knew exactly what he needed before he asked Jesus when he stood face to face for him. And if I'm a guessing man, most all of us know what we need from Jesus, right? And faith that Jesus can and will answer according to Jesus' will. Now, here's the takeaway. And Stephen, I'll be coming down, and the band's going to be making their way uh, down front here to play in just a moment. But as they are making their way, I want you to think about this question. If you were standing face-to-face before Jesus right now, so close that you can reach out and touch him, and Jesus asked you the same question that he asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What would you have me do for you today, Steve? What would you have me do for you? And put your name in that blank. What would you ask Jesus for today? Would it be to save you? Would it be to help you grow and be closer to Him? Would it bring healing and forgiveness with others? Would it be to restore right relationships? I don't know. There's a, possibilities are endless. But guess what? I believe with all my heart, the same Jesus that walked through that Jericho gate on that day, on his way to the cross, is the same Jesus that walks around this place and up and down these aisles. So, guys, we're going to stop in just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. And as I pray for you today, I want you just to say, God, what is it that you would have me to do in my life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for this opportunity to bring your word today, and I pray that you use it and that you speak to the lives of the people here in this congregation. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as they share with you what they need you to do for them, Father, I pray that you answer according to your will and your plan and your purpose for their life. I thank you, dear God, for the opportunity to worship and to read your word and study it and to pray and to meditate upon what you're saying. So help us to slow down and think about what you're doing in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.